Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There are times in life when it's good to know that someone has a grasp on their own limitations. If you're driving down a road, you'll save yourself some headaches and some cash if you understand the speed limit. If you're boarding an airplane, it's a pretty good idea to make sure that the pilot has a fair grasp of the limitations of their aircraft. If you're making a major purchase, a house or a car, you're going to want to check what the limitations of your, your bank account are. And even as a pastor, it's a good idea to understand your, your limitations, at least when it comes to something like the expected length of a sermon, especially before you decide that this Sunday is the one you're going to preach for 45 minutes for the first time. I'm kidding, but, you know, I thought about it. It is in that vein, understanding one's limitations, that I have to admit when I read our gospel lesson from Matthew, I have a great deal of sympathy for the disciples. It is perhaps the most famous miracle in Jesus' ministry, the feeding of the 5,000. It's right up there with walking on water, turning water into wine, and maybe even has as much notoriety as the resurrection itself. But one thing that I'm always, always struck by, especially in Matthew's account, is just how perfectly reasonable the disciples are and how utterly unreasonable Jesus' response seems to be. We read, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I mean, you can imagine how this, this conversation went. Uh, Jesus, uh, the crowd's going to be hangry any second now. And, well, maybe we'll send them on before we incite a, a riot on our hands. No, don't send them away. Disciples, you feed them. We can't. No, I, I wasn't joking. Disciples, you feed them. We weren't joking either, Jesus. We can't. Even if we wanted to, we're limited. We understand our limitations. We've got five loaves and two fish, and it doesn't matter how small you slice it, five loaves and two fish, that doesn't feed thousands. See, in one sense, it is very true to say the disciples have a firm grasp on the common sense understanding of their own limitations in this account. That very rightly, five loaves and, and two fish can't feed thousands. And yet, what we also see in their response is that they're not just limited in their resources or their ability, but they're limited in their understanding. We see the limits of who they see Jesus to be at that time. We see that they are limited in understanding what Jesus truly came to do, what Jesus can do. They are limited in their understanding of what the, the Word made flesh in Christ Jesus is able to do. And in another sense, hidden amongst that confusion, that understandable response of we only have five loaves and, and two fish, is very truly a limited understanding of what God can do. Because in one sense, hidden in that response is the phrase, Jesus, don't you see? God has not provided enough for us to do what you ask. 
We don't have the resources. We don't have the ability. We don't have the capacity. Even if we wanted to, there's not enough here for the task at hand. Jesus, we are limited, and we, we are not enough to do what you've asked. And in that sense, you and I know that response. We can't do it. I can't do it. We don't have what it takes. It's a natural and human response to understand our own limitations, to know that the pain of those limitations. And yet, Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. I have a great deal of sympathy for the disciples who look out at, at a situation that they're faced with and collectively acknowledge we can't do it. Individually acknowledge, I'm not enough to make it happen. Don't you see? God hasn't provided enough. That refrain is not without some history in the lives of God's people. If you go all the way back to the, the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 16, after the people have been freed from slavery, after they have crossed the Red Sea, we read, they get incensed and they grumble and they say to Moses, it would have been better if we were just killed or back in Egypt where we had meat and bread to eat. They say to God, Lord, you have not provided for your people. And then you fast forward a little bit and you get to Numbers chapter 11. And once more we see the people of God have a strong craving that doesn't seem to be getting met. We read that the people of Israel wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there's nothing but this, this manna for us to look upon. God, you have not provided enough for your people. And then just a, a few verses later, even Moses himself doesn't see how God is providing Moses himself, who led the people across the Red Sea, who, who freed, led those freed people out of slavery, who saw what God can do, he says, Lord, why do you deal so poorly with me, your servant? Have I not found favor in your sight that you would lay the burden of all this people upon me? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. And Lord, I am not able to carry this people alone. This burden is far too heavy for me. If this is how you will treat me, Lord, this is what Moses says to God, if this is how you will treat me, Lord, and if I have any favor in your sight whatsoever, it will then just kill me now, that I may not see my wretchedness, that I may not be confronted with my limitations. Lord, I can't do this. I am not enough. It doesn't matter if you're looking at it from the perspective of the disciples, Moses himself, the people of God in, in the Old Testament, or just you and I. We know what that response is like. We know what that feeling is like. To look out and think, we are not enough. Surely you see that, Lord. We don't have the, the resources, the ability. I'm not able to do it. And by proxy, we make that same confession. God, I don't feel you have provided enough. 
Completely separate from my preparation for this sermon, earlier in this week I was listening to a podcast on which uh, a Canadian doctor, Karen Gordon, was giving a, an account of what she feels like are, are two universal human thoughts. Thoughts that all human beings have that are also at the same time universally poisonous, toxic thoughts to the human thought process. And she said that those two thoughts are one, the words, I am not enough, and two, I will only be good enough if I can do X. If I can get that job, if I can get that car, if I can get into that university, if I, if I can just do X, then I'll finally be enough. See, in a sense, that is the response of the disciples. That's the response that you and I so, so easily fall into, forgetting that God provides for his people, even when it doesn't especially look like it. The disciples forget in this miracle account that standing before them is Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. It is true, we are limited. The disciples weren't wrong, but Jesus, Jesus is not. The disciples said to Jesus, we only have five loaves here and two fish, and Jesus said to them, bring it here to me. Bring it here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass took those five loaves and two fish, looked up into heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples fed the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. Bring it here to me, Jesus says. There is perhaps no greater reminder of what the provision, the power the ability, the work of God is in the life of a Christian than what is summarized in those words, bring it here to me, Jesus says. Come to the one who is the, the bread of life. Come to the one who looks upon a, a crowd of poor, miserable sinners and has compassion for them. Not only heals them, but came to redeem them, came to pay for their sins. The one who was sent so we could see just how clearly God so loved the world. How clearly God so loved you. Bring it here to me, Jesus says. Your faults, your failures, your, your limitations, your problems, your struggles, your illness, your children, your spouses, your parents, your friends, your family. Bring it here to me. We are reminded in this miracle account that it is not from a place of abundance from which God provides. This is, after all, a desolate place. The disciples are not wrong. And even this account in the life of Jesus' ministry doesn't especially look like one of great abundance in this moment. He had just been rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. His cousin, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded, had his head handed to Herod on a, on a silver platter. And yet, we are reminded in this miracle that it is not in those places of abundance, but in the desolate spaces. In those desolate times, those times when common sense is, let's just get out of here. We have to leave. I want this problem to just go away. I want the things that bother me to just be out of my life. It's in those moments that Jesus sees our needs. It's in those moments that Jesus provides. 
And more than just provides Jesus, as we read in this miracle account, he satisfies. See, I said at the beginning of this sermon, I, I can sympathize with the disciples. They are not wrong. They're not even being selfish. They're not even being inherently sinful. But they are, however, at least in this account, very short-sighted. That they're looking at the world with the blinders of this world on instead of seeing it through the vision of their Lord. That they fail to realize just who it is that is at work in their midst. And this miracle tells us quite a bit about who Jesus truly is. It shows us directly how much God cares about the needs of his people. That even as the Israelites wandered, even as the disciples doubted, even as you and I struggle and at, at times fail, even when it doesn't look like it, that's when God graciously provides for his people. The disciples, when confronted with the reality of that desolate space and a hungry crowd, they don't think there's any possible way they can do it. And they fail to look to their Savior with their problem. They fail to remember to bring it to Jesus so that he can give them what is needed to do what he's asked. And I'm struck in this account. So often we say, well, Jesus fed 5,000 people. No, he didn't. The disciples fed the people. That Jesus wasn't playing a game when he said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. That even when those words seemed impossible, Jesus did what it took to fulfill the very thing he said. You give them something to eat. See, that's the, the power of what Jesus can do. That's the power of who our God is that he looks upon the, this limited world, on, on limited people, and yet his love and his grace and his mercy knows no limits. Yes, Jesus provided for that crowd, but he did it through the hands of his servants, through hands that they themselves were indeed limited. The disciples were not up to the challenge. They could not make five loaves and two fish, feed 5,000 people. And when confronted with the struggle of that problem, their response is, well, can't they just go away? You know, we do that same thing all the time. When we're faced with a problem or a struggle or a sin that seemingly exceeds our limits, we think, can't it just go away? And we forget the words of Jesus. Bring it here to me, Jesus said. Lay that sin, lay that, that struggle, lay that, that pain, that doubt, that insecurity, that anxiety, that, that point of pride, that hurt and heartache. Lay it at the foot of your Savior. Bring it to me, Jesus says. We are reminded in this miracle account that though we are limited, though we do have limitations, Jesus looks upon a group of, of limited people and says, you are enough. You are enough for me. You are enough for God. And we get the gift of living a, a reality that 
means that not only do we get to have Jesus work in our lives, but we get to have Jesus work through us for others. That doesn't mean things get easy. The moment this miracle's taken place, Jesus is grieving. He's just been rejected by his friends and family in his hometown. No, Jesus provides, but it doesn't always mean things go so smoothly, at least in our minds. And sometimes it's even just the opposite. But when we are confronted by those limitations, when we are confronted by those struggles and those sins and those pains, we do remember that the the strength of our provision, the strength of our our life, the source of, of our joy, the source of being enough, well, it's not based on the limitations we possess, but rather it's defined by the Savior who knows your needs who looks upon you and and, and knows your sin, who knows your struggle, yet looks upon you and says, you need not go away. Bring it here to me. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.